welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On this episode, we talk all things Robert Morris University hockey with the women's head coach, Logan Biddle. We discuss Logan being part of the first RMU men's team, returning as an assistant coach with the women, the suspending and reinstatement of the women's team, and his recruiting plans. I really enjoyed this conversation with Logan, and I hope you do too. Before we get to our guest, if you enjoyed this episode and want us to keep making more of them, please share it with teammates and friends. You can also subscribe, like, follow, and even better, it would be great if you would leave us a review. Now, let's drop the puck and get to the show. I'm very excited to welcome the head coach of the recently reinstated Robert Morris University women's ice hockey program, Logan Biddle. Hailing from Peoria, Illinois, Logan was an, origi an original RMU Colonial men's hockey player for their inaugural season in 2004-2005. After graduation, he played some professional hockey in the ECHL and EPHL before returning to RMU as an assistant coach with the women's team in 2010 and was there for 11 seasons. However, for some logic-defying reasons, which we will discuss in detail, the program was discontinued in May 2021. Since then, Logan played a critical role in helping revive the RMU hockey programs, while at the same time coaching the Pittsburgh Penguin Elite's girls 16 and 19 AAA teams. Welcome to the podcast, Logan. Thanks for having me, Ray. It's good to be here. Hey, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast before the program has actually, you know, uh, started uh, playing. And uh, before we get into the details about the program and what your plans are, why don't we start off with, like we do all our guests, talking a little bit about your hockey history and how you became such a good hockey player that you were able to play Division One hockey and a little professional uh, hockey as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I grew up in Peoria, like you mentioned, uh, not exactly a hockey hotbed. Um, kind of in the middle of the state, you, you think of Illinois and you think of Chicago and, and all the hockey that they have up there. Um, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to have some great coaches um, through my minor hockey ranks in Peoria that kind of pushed our pushed the envelope for us and kind of uh, guided us to to compete with those teams in Chicago. And um, so I played there my entire life, uh, all the way through midget. I never actually played triple-A hockey. Um, wow. I played double-A hockey all the way through midget and then uh, played about a half a year of junior B hockey in Peoria. Um, they have a junior B team there. And then I was in the North American League after that from ages 16 to 20. And um, before you get also, to the before yeah. you get to your, your junior, I'm very curious about this. Then, yeah. So you only played double A hockey and yeah. and you know just a little bit of triple A in, in midget. What made you so good up until that point that you were even considered for junior hockey? Um, I was fortunate enough to have uh, you know the, the, there's a pro hockey team in Peoria, and at the time they were in the IHL, and um, the head coach of that team was Paul McLean, and he went on to coach in the NHL. Um, and so he was out in Anaheim as an assistant. And so, um, you know, he was the coach there and I was able to play with his son. And he basically gave the advice that says, if you're, if you're good enough, somebody's going to find you. Um, and that kind of kept me from um, necessarily driving to Chicago three times a week, which is about a three hour drive for practice. I said, you know what, I'm going to stay. I enjoy it here. Um, I'm developing here. Um, and so I was able to, to do that. And then, um, you know, I was able to get invited to a couple of junior A camps out of double A hockey. Um, and I guess I did well enough there to be able to, to advance. And, and you talk specifically about your development. So who are the coaches that were helping you develop so well? Because, you know, if you're yeah. most people would think that double A coaches aren't as good as triple A coaches, just because there's an extra or one less letter on it. So sure. was Paul McLean coaching you? Like who was coaching you that made you, you know, uh, got your skill level to that level that you needed? Not, 
yeah, so Paul was pretty busy with his 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 day job, but uh, Joel Olson is uh, is the guy who really pushed me in. Uh, me and his son, his son came with me to, to Robert Morris as well, so we got to play minor hockey all the way up together, um, and he really pushed us. And then in the summer times, we'd have skates that um, the pro guys that were playing in Peoria would would stick around in the summer and run skates and. Um, we were fortunate enough to be able to get on the ice with them from the time we were about 13 or 14 on. And um, that really pushed the envelope for us and the kind of let us see that there was something outside of Peoria, right? That these people were coming into Peoria, they were playing there, but, you know, they kind of brought their backgrounds to, to us on the ice. And so um, very fortunate to have that opportunity. And um, like I said, it's, it's a different path. You know, it's, it's not exactly the traditional path of AAA junior um, college, but um, you know, it worked for me, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for all the, the coaches that uh, pushed me there. Gotcha. And, and I saw you played three years in the NHL for yep. three different teams. But what, the one thing which I did see when I looked at your stats was you clearly got better every year, and your, your last year before going to Robert Morris was clearly a phenomenal year. You want, let's talk about those three years of playing junior. Yeah, so I, I halfway through my first year of junior, when it was junior B, I got called up to the North American League. I think that was 2001. Um, and I played one game and then went back to my junior B team and broke my ankle. Um, oh. So um, I was I was back up there for, I think, seven or eight games towards the end of the season um, and then moved to St. Louis. Um, my it would have been my senior year of high school um, and was about eight weeks into the season and got traded, um, which I at the time, I didn't even think you could get traded when you were in high school. But it, but I did. Um, and so what ultimately ended up happening is I. I um, kind of declined that trade to go down to Texas because I was going to have to take another year of high school, and I wasn't really keen on doing that. Um, I was ready to kind of get going, and um, I was fortunate enough to get picked up in Danville, and I played two seasons there um, and had some, some success. And, um, and then when Danville moved on to the USHL, I was an overage as a 20-year-old, so um, they can only keep a couple of those kids on their roster per the rules. So um, I got put into a dispersal draft and was very fortunate to get picked up by uh, the Sioux Indians and Joe Sean, who's now at uh, Michigan Tech uh, as their head coach. And um, he gave me a lot of opportunity. And I had some tremendous teammates that, uh, that really, I, I kind of credit them with uh, the success that I had in that season. So um, yeah, so it was, it was kind of a wild journey, but uh, I got to see a lot of the a lot of the country and kind of started out close to home and ended up about as far away as I could in that league. So, um, so it was good, but uh, yeah, it gave me that opportunity that, you know, ultimately uh, got me to Robert Morris. All right. So let's talk about Robert Morris. We're going to obviously spend almost the entire remainder of the podcast talking about Robert Morris university. So uh, talk about the recruiting process, how they found you and then what your decision-making was to, to go there. Yeah. So the head coach, Derek Schooley, who's still here, um, still the head coach. I, I actually went, this, this is a funny story. He tells it all the time, but um, he used to work at Huron Hockey Schools, in, uh, which was kind of Midwest based. And um, so when I was probably 10, 11 years old, he was just finishing up college. Um, he actually came to Peoria and was part of running that camp. Um, so funny story, long story short, he ended up seeing me playing junior hockey and um, he actually recruited my buddy, Joey, um, who I mentioned earlier, um, a season before the, the program started to kind of come out and be his first recruit and kind of show people around it. And uh, Joey being, you know, he's the best man at my wedding, called me and goes, you're going to love this place. Um, and I, you know, actually I committed before I even saw the, the school. Um, I kind of took his word for it. And, um, you know, I came out and obviously loved it. And, um, you know, I basically haven't left since. So it's been. Uh, and, and would you recommend uh, other um, potential recruits to just commit to RMU without looking at the school? 
I, I would I would recommend that right now. Yes, uh, but no, that's that's <laughs> definitely not um, definitely not the probably the correct way to do it. But um, you know, it was it was just an, I was excited about it. It was a, uh, the opportunity to start a program from scratch. Um, you know, which provides playing time, provides opportunity, but also provides an opportunity for you to leave a legacy, um, which is something that, uh, um, you know, I'm very proud of. And I know uh, the members of my, you know, inaugural class were really proud of as well. So um, kind of everything lined up. It was just kind of a perfect fit and, um, you know, it sealed the deal. I came out with my dad and uh, my coach, Joel's and his son, Joey, we came out and watched a doubleheader with the Cubs and Pirates uh, on our visit. And uh, that but sealed the deal for me as a Cubs fan. So, um, no, but it's it's uh, it's a great uh, town. It's a great school, and you know I was fortunate to to get recruited and come here. City of champions. Yep. Um, all right. So let's talk about Robert Morris University. About five thousand students. Um, uh, this year is their hundred first anniversary. Last year was the the centennial. Yep. Maybe yep. just talk about the school and uh, what makes it so special. You know what? I think the most special thing about Robert Morris is it's it's a really a family atmosphere. Um, you get a lot of you know not necessarily one on one attention, but uh, the doors are always open. If you need anything, there's always somebody there. Um, I kind of say it all the time. You you really have to try to fail at Robert Morris because um, you have so much support. You have so much so many people that are in your corner that want want to see you succeed. And um, you know you have a little bit of the smaller class sizes, but it's not um, so small that it feels like you're um, you know, kind of singled out. You have that kind of, you know, balance of a small classroom, but you have that attention. And, and um, you know, the really nice part about it too is the campus being 15 minutes from downtown Pittsburgh, the daily life is really simple, right? The daily life is very easygoing, suburban, you know, very safe, all of that. Um, and then you have the ability to get into the city and basically explore and, and you know, spread your wings. You know, it's from the sporting events to the culture to the the art to all the stuff that, that Pittsburgh has to offer. Um, it's really kind of that perfect mix. And a lot of technology as well, because yeah. I know uh, thanks to Carnegie Mellon, there's, there's you know, uh, self-driving cars and things like that yeah. going on oh, in Pittsburgh that's, these that's days. Wild, yeah. That's wild stuff. <laughs> that's wild yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. And so, uh, you know, you were part of the founding team and I'm sure setting the culture and uh, creating, you know, a certain way of playing was important in those first few years. Maybe, maybe talk about that, what uh, the coach was trying to do and what you as players and leaders were trying to do for, you know, instituting kind of a legacy for the, for the program. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest piece for us was um, creating that kind of uh, culture on campus more so, um, you know, and kind of developing those relationships with the, the other students, um, with the professors, with the administration, things like that to kind of, uh, and the community in general. Um, and just kind of being good ambassadors for the university. Um, you know, hockey-wise, you know, we weren't the best. We were a startup team, um, you know, for our first couple of years, even though we did win our first game ever. Um, and um, in our junior year, we were um, in our championship game to go to the NCAA tournament. We lost in overtime. We had a 4 nothing lead and lost 5-4 in overtime. Ouch. Um, and that's, yeah, we're still not over that one. Um, but, you know, basically, you know, you could kind of see the stepping stones and the milestones that we were building. And maybe at the time you didn't necessarily realize it, but, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to come back and coach, um, you know, and be able to keep an eye on the men's program and kind of see it day to day. And um, was lucky enough to be there when they finally did win their first conference championship and go to the NCAA tournament. And thinking back on kind of all the stuff that we did to kind of get that thing started and um, was a, a pretty emotional moment, to be honest. It was, it, was, it was exciting, and I was excited for the coaching staffs and the players, but 
Um, you know, even the, the guys that started the program, like it, it, it takes a lot to, to, to kind of say, I want to be a part of that. And, um, you know, to see this success that this program has had since then is amazing. And it's, you know, um, it's because of everybody that, that decided to come and start that program. So it's, it's uh, something to be proud of for sure. Looking back on those, those four years where you were part of the inaugural team and that, that graduated, the first graduating class, what would you do differently? That's a great question. Um, I probably would have taken it a little bit more seriously, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I have this conversation with my athletes all the time is, um, you know, at the, at the time, you know, it's kind of just your life, right? It's, it's, you know, I, I have always played hockey. I'm, you know, I'm going to school, I'm playing hockey, whatever. Um, but I think it goes by so fast and, and coaches say that all the time. And, you know, as, as 18, 19, 20 year olds, you think, oh, you're kind of crazy, right? It's, it's four years. It's going to take, it's going to take forever. And, um, you know, I think the first couple of years, I, I just kind of thought of it as just another season and all that. And then when you, when it starts winding down a little bit, you go, wait a minute, like I'm running out of time here. Um, and so, uh, those last couple of years, you really start to take things more seriously and kind of, you know, put everything that you have into it. And, um, the thing that I tell my athletes all the time is don't have any regrets when you leave, right. You know, you sometimes you get caught up in a lot of, um, stuff that maybe you can't control or, or are things that maybe aren't really that important. They seem really important at the time, but really aren't that important. Um, so to really just to kind of soak it in and take it all in because it does go so fast. And um, I think that that's probably the one thing it's like, don't leave anything on the table, right? And, and you know, I think there's probably, I probably left a little bit on the table, which is a regret that I have, but um, you know, I, I, you know, trying to pass that along to my athletes to say, don't, you know, don't have those same regrets, you know, come in every day and enjoy it because it, it, it goes fast and then it's done. That's, that's, it's, it's great that you can then take the lessons that you learned from it and yeah. then make sure, you know, other folks can learn from your mistakes or, yep, or, your, or your regrets, uh, yep. so to speak. All right. So um, you, you were able to play a little bit of professional hockey after graduation. Tell us about your, uh, your period of time in between leaving RMU and then going back to RMU. We'll, we'll talk about that. after. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I wanted to play. I wanted to kind of, you know, kick the tires and see where, what I could do with it. Um, and so I actually signed in um, uh, the Central League, which no longer exists. I was out in Colorado and with the, uh, with the Eagles, who are now in the AHL. Um, but um, that was an amazing experience, probably one of the best-run minor league hockey franchises that you'll find. Um, I was there for a few weeks and, and got released right before the, uh, uh, the home opener, actually. They got a guy back from Europe, and I was one of only two rookies on the team, and they were like, see you later. I was like, okay, thanks for the opportunity. And wasn't really sure what I was going to do and, um, you know, ended up in the, the EPHL, which is, uh, which is pretty much now the, fe the federal league, or I'm not really sure what that name is, but, um, you know, it was, it was okay hockey. It was a way to, you know, get paid a little bit of money to play. And um, I had a lot of fun for sure. And then um, got the opportunity to, uh, to get called up to the, the ECHL for the last quarter of the season and uh, spent the time in Dayton there and um, really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, was going to play another year and then, you know, kind of got the opportunity to, uh, uh, to get back behind the bench at Robert Morris and decided I wanted to do that instead. So, all right. So bef before we get into your decision to, to, to become a coach, um, looking back on the coaches that you had throughout all of your entire playing days from mites or, you know, just lacing on the skates yeah. all the way through professional hockey, who was your favorite coach and why? 
Well, I think I have to say Derek Schooley since I work, my office is right next to him now, right? But <laughs> You don't have um, to. No, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you know what? I, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of great coaches. And, um, you know, I learned a lot. And I think one of the things that um, I kind of always knew I wanted to get into coaching. So I, I think I took a little bit from each and every one of them. Um, you know, Joe Olson's probably the one that's the closest to my heart. He passed a couple years ago. Um, and you know, they named a rink after him in central Illinois. I mean, he, he touched a lot of people's lives and, um, you know, he was very special to me, but, um, you know, I think I took a little bit from each and every one of my coaches. Um, you know, and, and one thing I'm definitely leaning on now with, with Derek being here is he's done this before, you know, he's, he started a program. Um, and so, um, you know, his knowledge and his ability to do something and be so successful at it. I'm very excited to, to kind of, you know, lean on him and, and learn from him. All right, so um, now given all that, why did you decide to become a coach? Obviously, you know, you saw where you were going with your uh, professional career, but what, what was the opportunity in coaching that, that, that appealed more to you? Yep, I, 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 like I mentioned earlier, I had so many wonderful coaches that kind of affected my life and, and drove my life in, in a good direction, and it's something that I wanted uh, to be able to do as well. And, um, you know, I had the, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to work some summer camps at, at Robert Morris and get to know the coaching staff from, um, the women's side, uh, a little bit better. And he was actually, Nate Handerhan at the time was actually at one point, the assistant for the men's team. Um, so I got to know him well. And, um, once I kind of decided hockey, you know, playing was done, I, I gave him a shout and he said, uh, you know, we'd love to have you, uh, but we only have a volunteer spot available. Um, are you willing to do it? And I said, yep, I'm in, let's go. Um, and that turned in that year to, um, you know, a little bit of pay, but basically just enough to survive. And, um, you know, working like that and, and, you know, not making any money and kind of makes you really realize if you want to do it or not. And um, I fell in love with it right away. And it was great to be back at RMU and in Pittsburgh, but um, just kind of the, you know, the day-to-day -day of, of getting to know and, and watching these players grow into to great young women. And um, that, that was something that I was, you know, very passionate about and wanted to continue with. And why did you uh, end up on the women's side of things and staying with the women's side of things instead of the men? Um, you know what, that's, I got my start with the women and, um, you know, I don't, people have asked me in the past if, if you ever thought about going over to the men's side of things. And uh, I say, no, I say, I, I absolutely love, number one, the women listen. Uh, you know, the guys, guys don't necessarily listen to all the time, but, um, you know, it, they're, they're just special people and it, and I really, really enjoy it. And, um, you know, I, I love coming to the rink every day, working with, uh, just wonderful young, uh, female athletes. And was there any other connection on the women's team or the staff that you, uh, may have, you know, um, known pretty well? Um, you know, I've, I've known their staff really well. Um, like I said, working camps with them in the summer. Um, obviously at the time I, I knew a lot of the girls when I was at school, um, I knew a lot of the, the, the athletes as well. Um, you know, hockey people tend to run in bunches. So, uh, the men's team and the women's team are, are great friends and, um, got along great, but, um, you know, it's, that's really kind of how I got into it was just kind of those summer camps with, with Nate and he had coached me and, and we had conversations about, uh, me wanting to get into coaching and, and all of that. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, that there was a spot available and, you know, sometimes you just got to jump at it, you know, when there's, when there's something to, to go after, right? Yeah. And was there uh, a former goalie from the RMU team that, uh, you know, uh, from the women's team that, you know, also brought you back to Pittsburgh? Uh, well, you know what? We were just buddies um, in college. So it was, uh, 
you know, kind of, I guess, a, a fortunate um, result of me coming back. But uh, yeah, we were always just really good friends in, in college. Um, and can you let folks know who, who we're talking uh, about? Yeah, so, my yeah. wife, Brianne McLaughlin, um, she played on the women's team at RMU, was um, on the Olympic team in 2010 and 14. And, um, you know, is, is kind of with the national program as well as their goalie coach now is also so um, yep, so we were we were uh, able to uh, kind of reconnect back uh, after college, and um, now we have two wonderful boys. Been married for eight years now, seven eight years. So um, it's it's been a, a wild ride. But um, you know, I, I, she's probably the only person that likes RMU women's hockey as much as I do. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, well, talk about your your coaching years. You you started off as an assistant coach. You then became an associate coach. Uh, Paul Colantino came in as head coach. Talk about you know your your ten or eleven years and the success of the program during that period of time. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the first year we were you know it was 2010-11, so we were still only five or six years into the program. Um, and like I mentioned, Nate Handerhan and uh, Scott Spencer, who's now at Mercer as an assistant, did a great job of kind of building that foundation. Um, and then, um, you know, Nate went on to Ohio State and Paul came in and um, I was very fortunate that he decided to keep me on board. I mean, new coach comes in, he doesn't necessarily have to do that. And, um, you know, I developed a great uh, relationship, a great friendship, a great, uh, he was a great mentor for me. He's a fantastic coach, a fantastic human being. And um, so I was able to, to work under him for 10 years. And um, you know, we obviously went from my first year at RMU, we had five wins, um, and to the next season, we had 19. I think it's one of the biggest turnarounds in Division One hockey history, um, just in that one year. And, um, you know, basically from 2012 on, we've been kind of just, you know, right around that top 10 in the country and uh, competing for uh, regular season championships, playoff championships, all that. So uh, let's talk just about that one year where you went from five wins to 19 wins. What made the difference there? Uh, you'd like to say coaching, but it was, you know, the girls were, uh, the girls were fantastic. And like I said, the foundation was there and it was, it was kind of ready to be, um, you know, kind of unleashed. And, um, you know, we, we had a couple of really top end players and um, we just built a culture of how we wanted to play the game. And we were tough to play against. We certainly weren't the most skilled um, but we, we found ways to win games with good goaltending, um, you know, heart and guts blocking shots in the championship game. That first year we won the CHA championship. I think we blocked 55 shots, something like that. I mean, it was insane, but you know, you had people that were there for the right reasons and you had people that were bought in and, um, you know, that was kind of something that that first season, um, or I guess it'd be my second season, but that championship season kind of, you know, built that foundation and set the tone for how Robert Morris needed to play. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, let's just talk about uh, the 2021 season. Pretty good year. Um, yeah. uh, you ended up, uh, you know, your final game was against the, the runner-up for the national championship. So talk, talk about your, your last year because you're kind of pretty, pretty good note to end the season on, or, uh, especially yeah. during the COVID year. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a different year for sure. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of the girls is they, they did what they had to do to, number one, get through the season. Um, but number two, stuck together in a way that, um, you know, maybe wasn't our most successful season in the regular season because we had just previously won three regular season championships. Um, and I think we finished third in the, um, you know, it was kind of a goofy standings with, uh, you know, mismatch of games and point percentages and things like that. But we finished third and, um, you know, it ended up being something where we had to kind of battle our way, um, you know, into the championship game and we were able to do so. And, 
Um, you know, this is a crazy story, but we actually had to play three games. We had to play the quarters, semis, and and finals, and we played three goalies in three nights and won the championship. Wow. So yeah. that, was, that was pretty incredible stuff. Um, we had uh, some injuries with our goaltending, but we, we had faith in all three of them. So one played the quarters, one played the semis, and one played the, the finals. And um, we were able, that's probably the only time that's ever happened in college hockey as well. But uh, so it was a pretty remarkable team run. You know, it took every single one of those girls to get through that season um, with, you know, how difficult things were with COVID. But you know, all on the ice, they, they all stuck together. And uh, we were able to get that, you know, it was our third championship and our second, you know, appearance in the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, we fortunately, or I guess fortunately had the opportunity to play Northeastern and um, Aaron Franklin next. It's tough to, to get any by her. And when you give up a couple, it's, it's tough to come back. But um, they were a fantastic team. And, you know, with uh, two minutes to go in the second period, it was 2-1. You know, so it was a hockey game. We were right there. And, um, you know, we had a lot of... Uh, a lot of really good, uh, you know, experiences there that last year. Yeah, uh, Aaron Frankel, 100 wins, uh, I think, this Not past bad. weekend. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty good goalie, yeah. Um, all right, and so you go from, you know, having basically one of your best seasons ever to uh, May 26th. I, let me, I'm going to read this out. The decision to discontinue the men's and women's ice hockey programs was made based on an analysis which included scholarships and operating costs and necessary investments to maintain and improve the current facility. The university also wanted to align our athletic offerings more closely with other similarly nationally ranked universities of our size. Word salad for we don't want hockey. So um, why do you think Chris Howard singled out uh, hockey as the sport to cancel? And, and Chris Howard was the RMU president at the time. Um, I, I honestly don't have that answer. Um, you know, I think uh, as a president, I think you have to make some tough decisions. And I think he kind of defined his path and what he wanted to do. And um, for whatever reason, it didn't include hockey. But, um, you know, May 26 was a really tough day. Uh, to be honest with you, it was I was already working for the Penguins. And um, I got a phone call about five minutes before the announcement actually came out and from our former assistant coach said, stay by your phone. And I said, why? She said, the teams are getting, getting dropped. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that's, that's insane. So, you know, obviously my first thought was the athletes, the coaches. Um, so I actually told the, the Penguins, I was like, I, I got to leave. I'm out of here. And I drove down from the rink up at UPMC and I drove down to the island and I was here, um, you know, with Paul and Jen and Derek and his assistant, you know, and uh, it was it was horrible. It was a horrible, horrible day. And, um, you know, one of the things that we kind of talked about is two days later, we had 80 alumni on a phone call figuring out what to do um, and how we could kind of right this wrong. And, um, you know, that's kind of led to the, the, the um, building of the Pittsburgh College Hockey Foundation, which, um, you know, Helped, to, helped with the school to raise, you know, over $3 million to get the teams reinstated. And just, I think the main point of it was to show, um, you know, obviously that there's, there's funds there and, and people want to support the programs, but also to show what this, these programs meant to so many people over, you know, the course of, you know, almost 20 years. And so um, I think that was one of the things that we were most successful with was just, you know, the, the community and the, the, not just in the Pittsburgh community, but the hockey community. Um, and how many lives these, this program, these programs have touched. And so, um, you know, that was kind of the most exciting thing and kind of the coolest thing, you know, for us is, you know, to kind of just go back and see, you know, the lives that were changed and affected by these programs. And, and you know, fortunately enough, we were able to get um, 
the backing of the school and, and they jumped on board and helped a ton. And, um, and now we're, we're sitting here, you know, eight months later, nine months later going, I can't believe um, it's actually more than that now, but when they made the announcement eight, nine months later, we're back and we're, we're yeah. going back after it. And it's, it's incredible to think it, it seemed like it's been about five or six years and it's really only been, you know, three quarters of a year, but um, you know, the ups and downs and emotions of it, but you know, we're back and, and we're, we're ready to hit the ground running in 23, 24. All right. I still don't want to let the president off the hook here. So what, what shocked me when the announcement was made was like, I saw what happened at, um, with hockey with, uh, university of Alabama, Huntsville and university of Alaska, where they basically said, Hey, we need help. If you want to help the team, you, you need, we need support, financial support to save it. And there mm -hmm. was all the GoFundMes for both those teams. Um, and, and very successful, right? It was not a funding issue that, that prevented those two teams from, from continuing. But when I found out that he basically didn't even consult with anybody in the hockey program to even say, Hey, can you guys help try and save yourselves? Uh, and do anything that, that was just to me, like unacceptable, especially for someone who, who understands business and customers. Um, I was just very surprised by that. Yeah, and again, I, I think you know you you're making decisions based on what you think is best. Do I would I have handled it differently? Yeah, I, for sure. But um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's really really sad um, that it had to happen. Um, one of the um, most exciting pieces, and I said, there's not much that's good that came out of that, um, other than now we know the support that the board of trustees has for our program, the support the community has for our programs. Um, with the season ticket pre-sales that have already happened um, to, um, you know, we're probably going to be more um, funded. We're going to be more supported than we ever have been. Um, now, I wish it would have never taken this and, and it affected so many lives and it's, it's just not a good thing. But at the end of the day, um, you have to be able to find some good to come out of bad situations. And, and that's one thing that, that's good that's come out of this is we're going to be uh, very well supported and very well cared for. Yep. And for the record, Chris Howard is no longer at the school, so it shows your level of commitment to the school versus his. Um, and he's now at Arizona State University, which ironically is where the Phoenix Coyotes are probably going to be playing next year. So he's going to have hockey both at the Division One level and the professional level where, where he's at. So um, anyhow, your commitment and uh, your wife's commitment to, to making it all happen with the Pittsburgh College Hockey Fit Foundation was, was unbelievable. You also had a lot of help from the community, like Ryan Malone um, and obviously Derek Chuli and uh, any, any other like folks you want to say thank you to who, who helped raise the money? Yeah, I mean, it, it took a, you know, they say it takes a village, but it took, you know, probably a city and a nation and, a, you know, a world to get this done. And um, yeah, Ryan Malone came on board with our foundation. He's a, he's a board member, um, just a, a fantastic human being, had no reason at all to get involved and, you know, reached out unsolicited and just said, how can I help? And not only did he help, he jumped in with both feet. Um, you know, we had the, the Pittsburgh celebrity game, alumni celebrity game. Um, I think it was in October. Um, and that was just a huge success. We sold out uh, the Penguins practice facility. We had former Penguins, former Steelers, news, media, um, celebrities that, that came out. And we had a great time. And um, I went minus, I think I was minus eight on the day. And I think I only had three shifts. So. Um, you know, I'm glad I'm retired, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and like I said, it, there were just so many people from, you know, the, the, the person that has nothing to do with Robert Morris hockey, but just a hockey fan in general that gave five to $10 to some of our humongous 
big, great donors. Um, you know, it, it just, it wouldn't have been possible without every single one of them. So um, I don't think there's enough time in the day or enough time on a podcast to thank everybody that was involved. But um, if you played any piece in this, we are so grateful for it because, um, you know, like I said, on May 26, things were pretty bleak. And um, now we're sitting here talking about these programs and how they're coming back and how exciting that is. Right. So one of the challenges, unfortunately, is that you had a team that was already there. Um, you know, a few of the few of the players were were graduating after the 2021 season. But um, what I, I did research where where most of them went. Unfortunately, they had to go find new homes. So I saw about half went to other D1 schools, and and they've had some pretty good years. Yeah. Um, about a quarter graduated, uh, a, a few went D3, and then a few went to U-Sport, uh, to the Canadian University League. Um, what was that like? And especially, what about those who were supposed to be coming in as freshmen? What, what, were, what were you able to do as a staff to help them um, find new homes? Yeah, so that was probably the, the, you know, after the shock of, hey, there's not going to be RMU hockey anymore, it, it goes to, you know, how can we help these these women find places to play. You know, they they thought their lives were set for the next, you know, four or five years, whatever it might be. Um, and to have that taken away is, is pretty tough for, for anybody, let alone somebody who may be 17, 18, 19 years old. So um, the next few weeks, basically, you know, I know the staff that was at Robert Morris and even me, not even working at Robert Morris anymore, but just, you know, caring for these girls and trying to find them homes. We were on the phone with, with college coaches, um, answering any questions that they, they may have, um, you know, talking about where they might be a good fit, talking to the girls and making sure that they were going to somewhere where they would be successful. Um, so that was probably the first month or two for sure. Um, and it really didn't stop. It kept going all the way up until almost the season started of just trying to find a home for these kids because, um, you know, you sit down and you sit with a family and you sit down with a, a kid when you're talking and recruiting them, um, you know, you're making a promise that you're going to care for these kids for the next four or five years. And um, when something like that happens that you have no control over, it's very difficult. And, you know, you kind of that pop bear mentality comes in and says, I need to help, you know, find this kid a home. And um, fortunately enough, you know, the majority of them were able to find places to continue playing if they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So December 17th, that was the big announcement saying the return of the program. Um, maybe just talk about why you uh, decided to return in 2023 versus 2022. I know you've answered this before, but maybe folks haven't heard that yet. Um, and then we'll just talk about what the, the investment is going to look like in terms of facilities uh, and building the team. Yep. So uh, the 2023, as opposed to this coming year, is, is really to help um, build the team. To build a team in... Um, you know, six months, seven months by the time these kids need to come on campus would have put us at a pretty uh, big competitive disadvantage. Um, so they wanted to allow the, the coaches to, to build a team that's going to be competitive and, and get back uh, to the winning ways that we were accustomed to at RMU. Um, also, it allows us to continue with our fundraising and continue building those things and, um, you know, getting out in the community and, and doing kind of that grassroots work that we did to, to get the programs back. And, um, you know, so that's kind of the, the main reasons for that. Um, you know, I, if it was up to me and, and I had it the way I would, I'd we'd have a team already. We'd be playing right now in the playoffs, right? But obviously that's not how the world works. And we have to be able to get, um, you know, quality student athletes and quality people into these programs. And you can't do that in, uh, you know, a couple months. So that extra year really buys the coaching staff time to do their due diligence, get to know these athletes, making sure they're bringing in good people. Um, on top of good athletes as well. So um, I think that's the main point. Um, and you mentioned kind of like uh, facilities and funding. 
um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, with the board of trustees support and the fundraising that we've already done and will continue to do, um, you know, we're really excited to, to say that we're going to be funded just as good, if not better, um, than we have ever been. And that's, you know, that's exciting because we were funded very well. We were very well taken care of. Um, and to think that that might even get better, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, as far as facilities goes, we have a great, you know, you got the background there. It's a great facility, the Island Sports Center. Um, and we're working. I know there's some different stuff going on behind the scenes that, you know, maybe it's a new rink, maybe it's, you know, the Penguins rink, who knows. Um, but right now, um, home is going to be the Island Sports Center. And um, I know there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that's even over my head that, um, you know, hopefully something uh, uh, comes up. But if we play at the Island Sports Center for the next 20 years, we'll make it home just like we did for the last 20. And um, it's, it's a spectacular place to play. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I'm curious, have you spoken to any other coaches who have, you know, started new programs like Tara Watchorn or uh, Katie LaChapelle um, or, you know, Joel Johnson um, or maybe even Greg Powers at Arizona State University? Yeah. Yeah. I actually talked to Greg quite a bit. Um, his, his daughter was on the U14 Penguins team. Okay. Um, so, so we, we got connected through that, but we've talked with him quite a bit. I obviously talked with Derek Schooley here. He's, you know, he started that back in 2004 or five. Um, and once I get my feet underneath me here a little bit more, I'm definitely going to reach out to some other people as well, because again, you know, you, you can't experience this unless you do it right. You know, you, you can jump in and, and think, you know, what you're doing. And, um, you know, I've been here a long time, so that helps kind of ease the transition and, uh, make things a little bit easier, but, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be leaning on as many resources as possible to help, uh, like I said, get us back. I don't want to come in and, and just kind of be for the first four or five years. I want to come in and compete obviously. And. Um, that's what we, we have grown accustomed to at RMU, and that's something that we plan to do. And, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, talk to as many people as I can and, and bend as many people's ears as possible to, to, to get information to help uh, kind of do that. All right. So now let's get into the most important question, which is roster construction. All right. So are you thinking that you want to like build over four years and get better each year and then kind of peak, you know, with your seniors, or do you want to come in and start winning right away by kind of having a more veteran um, group by bringing in, you know, either players that have already been around for two or three years playing high level of D3, uh, other D1 teams and things like that, transfers, especially with the extra year, thanks yep. to COVID for, for a lot of players. How, how, what are you thinking about your, what's your strategy for roster construction? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a delicate balance, really. Um, you know, you have to, really the most important thing is, is finding great people, um, finding people that are committed to what we're trying to do. And that is building a program, you know, not from scratch, because we have the history, but building a program um, and then, you know, balancing out the balancing act is really just kind of, you, you can't have 20 freshmen, 24 freshmen that graduate every four years. And then all of a sudden you're starting over again. Right. So um, kind of trying to balance those classes out as best as possible. And um, you know, that'll be, you know, some incoming players, that'll be some, maybe some transfers or um, kids that, you know, go on the transfer portal. There's, there's a lot of different ways for that to happen, but um, you know, I think it's going to be a, Definite, definite juggling act, uh, but something that um, I'm excited to do. It's you, you get to play general manager, right? Like normally in college, it's you just go recruit a little bit and you fill in, you know, one or two spots. You have 24 spots to fill, so um, you know I'm excited for the challenge and can't wait to get going. All right. So uh, once again, from a recruiting perspective, where are you at with uh, filling out your staff? Uh, yep. So um, the the plan is to kind of get that ball rolling here in the next few weeks. 
Um, we'll be back to having a full hockey operations staff, um, which is exciting. Again, like I said, you know, some people's questions are, you know, the program starting back up again, or is it going to be bare bones? Is it going to be, you know, one head coach and one assistant and that's it. Um, but we will have two full-time assistants. We will have a director of hockey operations. Um, we'll have a volunteer coach just like we always have. So, um, that's really, really exciting. That ball will get rolling here in the next few weeks and, um, you know, hopefully have something midsummer that, uh, you know, for one assistant coach and then maybe another one to start next year. And then once this, once the team's here and we're full go, we'll have the full complement of, of coaches and, and support staff. All right. Now I always need to ask a goalie question. Will you have a goalie coach? My, my wife's a pretty good one. Um, so, um, you know, she always likes to, to hop on the ice and, um, you know, to be a volunteer coach, you know, obviously um, she doesn't have the time anymore to, to put in what a full-time coach would, would do, but um, to be a volunteer goalie coach, I think uh, I know a pretty good one that's pretty close to cl close to the program. So gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and and I'm assuming you're going to go back into the CHA conference because they need a sixth team. Is that correct? And that's, and that's that the plan. That's, yeah, that's the hope. Um, you know, we're still in the process of um, applying for readmission and all that stuff. Um, you know, I like you mentioned this, us being the sixth team. I would fully expect that to happen, but. Um, then, you know, that, that comes down to a vote of, of the directors and things like that. But um, that is the plan. Um, and we're hoping to know more about that uh, relatively soon here. Okay. And you can sign players now for 2023 or at least get commits. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So that's, you know, just like anybody else, you know, after their junior year, um, you are able to, to do all of that stuff, um, you know, and, and again, for either next year or the following year, both. So, um, yep. So that's, we're, we're back just like, uh, just like uh, any other school that's, that's currently playing. Yep. Okay. So there's a whole bunch of players who are graduating in 2023, looking for uh, a D1 school to play at. How come I haven't seen any names yet announced for, uh, for Robert Morris University? I started last week. So, you know, it's <laughs> um, a little quick. I know I'm already behind the, behind the eight ball, but um, yeah, you know, it's, again, it's me, for myself, just personally, getting back out and, and watching the, these athletes, right? Um, you know, because it was a difficult time, and this is not just for me, but for everybody the last two years with COVID um, and not really being able to get out into the rinks and actually see games being played. So that's that kind of took a hit. And then obviously this past year I was coaching two teams and, um, you know. You're coaching you, the Pittsburgh Penguins Elite 16 yeah. and 19 Triple 19, 18, 18, as I mentioned yep. earlier. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, basically it's, you know, how do you watch other you know, number one, I wasn't even focused on watching other teams, but how do you, when you're coaching five games in a day, it's a little difficult to watch other players, right? So, um, you know, that's that's kind of my my goal here. And then, you know, the, the near future is to kind of get back out and, and, you know, kind of get eyes on as many players as possible and uh, kind of see what uh, what's out there for that 2023 class. Gotcha. And, and what events do you plan on going out to this spring and summer? Um, yeah, I as many as I possibly can, to be honest with you. Um, there's, there's a ton, obviously there's a little bit of a lull right now, um, you know, leading up into nationals, nationals being in Pittsburgh is fantastic. So it's easy for us. Right. Um, so that's great. But um, yeah, as many as I can, um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to actually say specifically what I'm going to be at. Um, so I'll kind of leave it at that, but um, probably know, some USA hockey events on top of the, yeah, of the, course, the showcases. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Um, all the USA hockey events are, you know, those are pretty generally attended. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm just excited to get back on the road and put on my recruiting boots and, and get to work. And uh, are you planning to hold any events like camps uh, in Pittsburgh for, for not, uh, not, folks? 
Not right now, not for this coming summer. Um, hopefully the plan would be to do something in the following summers after, uh, after this one coming up. Um, but we just got a lot of stuff here that we're taking care of. Um, but that is something that, that is on the docket, hopefully for um, leading into the 23 season. Uh, something okay. to do for sure. All right. And so uh, what are you looking for in the, in terms of the type of player you're looking for, especially, you know, as a, as a, you know, team that's restarting, right? Like you, you're going to probably be looking for some of the characteristics that uh, you had when, when you started with the program in, in yeah, their no, inaugural that, season. That's exactly right. Again, it's going to be the first and foremost, a good human being. Um, and that's kind of been our motto here for, since I've been here is you have to be a good human first. If you're not, um, it doesn't really matter how good you are. Um, life's too short to surround yourself with bad people. Um, you know, that's, that's something we kind of always say. And uh, we want to make coming to the rink a fun experience, a great experience um, where everybody's kind of pulling the, the rope in the right direction, in the same direction. And when you have bad people, that doesn't work. So number one, first and foremost, great human beings. And then obviously, you know, there's that certain level of skill. You know, I want, you need to be able to skate the game. You need to be able to compete the game. You need to be able to think the game. Um, all things that you kind of see, um, as you get out on the road and watch these players play. So I'm um, super, super excited to, to kind of start molding that and building that and getting to know different people and um, different recruits and, and kind of seeing if they fit that mold, right? And is there a certain style of play that you're looking for? Um, you know, I was, I was on a call last night with some uh, very well-known coaches and they were talking about the, the Women's Olympics and they were talking about how the, the Chich team the, the the Czech team played yep. a completely different style than the U.S. and American team and that was the more forward thinking way of playing you know yep. are, are you are you thinking about what kind of style of play you're looking for yeah we're gonna, we're definitely going to be a fast-paced team um, that's very very difficult to play in our defensive zone that's kind of been the the bedrock of success that we've always had um, you know again like I mentioned the 2012 championship where 50 some odd block shots, you know, it's, that's a different mindset. You know, those are the type of people that you need. And so kind of that mix of that, that blue collar uh, mentality, that work ethic with, you know, some high level skilled kids as well. And when you can combine that, you have a pretty good mixture. And, um, you know, I want to play with pace. I want to play with skill kind of in the offensive zone. Um, that's when you get to think outside the box, right? You, you win your, your zones in the defensive zone, the neutral zone, you get into that offensive zone and that's when you let the tricks kind of, out of the box and out of the bag and, and have a little bit of fun with it. Um, and if you can kind of combine those two things, I think you have a lot of success. So that's, that's kind of the style we're looking to play very gritty in the defensive zone, very creative and, and uh, kind of outside the box in the offensive zone. Awesome. Awesome. Good. Looking forward to, to seeing you play uh, in the fall of next year. Um, in the meantime, what is it that uh, players who uh, like what they're hearing from you right now can, can do to kind of hold their hand up and say, Hey, uh, consider me. Um, yep. Do you have stuff on your website? Uh, what's the best way to reach out? Yep. Um, all my information is on the website. I think the, 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 the biggest advice that I can give to, um, you know, anybody at that age range, and it's the same advice I was giving to the Penn's League girls when I was coaching them is send an email, give your information, you know, essentially if you have video, include video, um, but make sure it's coming from you the player and not the parent. Um, it goes so much farther getting it from a player. Take some time to actually know what, who you're emailing. You know, the mass emails are easy, right? Because it, you can reach a lot of people at once, but take some time to get to know each, you know, something about whether it's the coach, not necessarily the coach, but the school, the program, um, and what they're trying to do, what, you know, maybe some of their strengths are. And get to know that, put that in the email so that it actually, you know, you're engaged, you're actually interested, you're not just blasting it out and trying to get 
you know, like a fish on a hook, right? So make sure you're, you're taking the time to personalize those things, have them come from you. That's an important piece because, you know, coaches do get a lot of emails every single day from recruits. And if it's coming from a parent, if it's coming from somebody else, that's not, you know, necessarily your, your coach, but maybe just, you know, a parent or somebody else, um, you know, coaches don't really have time to read all those and they want to really get to know the person that they're dealing with. And that's, that's the student athlete. So um, that's, that's the biggest advice that I can give to, to kids that are going through that right now. So if they mentioned they heard you on the chance app podcast and then that was part of the reason why they were applying, that would be a good thing. Is that, is yeah, that, yeah, is that yeah, be a fair that, assessment? That would be good. Yeah. That means they've listened a little bit and heard things. Yep. Yep. All right. So Logan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to learn about your hockey background, your coaching background, and the whole story behind Robert Morris University hockey program, the ups and the downs, and now the backups again. And I, I really look forward to seeing how, how things turn out for next year. And uh, we'll have to get you back on the podcast after uh, maybe at the end of your first season or maybe in the middle of your first season to see how things are going. Would love that. Would love that. Really excited about uh, uh, having the chance to talk Robert Morris hockey again, because like we mentioned it, we didn't think we were to have that chance, you know, a few months ago. And uh, now we're back for, for RMU 2.0 and we're excited about it. So appreciate it, Ray. I really want to thank Logan for coming on the podcast and sharing such great information about the women's hockey program and Robert Morris University. I wish him the best of luck putting together his team for 2023. And remember, if you got something out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like, follow, subscribe, and even better, if you could leave us a review so we can keep sharing this important hockey information with folks just like you.